Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the final episode of the Sports for Dummies podcast. Now we have something very, very special lined up today. Something me and Hope have been looking forward to for a long time. We're talking to an RF regiment gunner, an Olympian. A man who has led his country at the Beijing 2022 Olympics and a man who has spoken to the Queen over Zoom. We are joined by the brilliant Shan Stevens. Shan, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm not too bad yourselves. Wonderful, thank you. It's a little bit of a uh, probably disappointing for you, Shan. I'm not the Queen. I'm just a, a random lady here. It's not as exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a yeah, that was a pretty uh, awesome moment speaking to the Queen over, over Zoom. Um can't see a lot of people said that they've done that, so it's pretty cool. She's pretty high tech nowadays. Yeah, yeah, She's using the old well, Zoom. yeah. I think everybody had to be with the old COVID and stuff in it, so I think that's brought everybody onto the the whole technology thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've got loads to cover with you today, Shan, including how you spent your lockdown because uh, you were quite a viral sensation at some point. But let's <laughs> start way back at the beginning of of your life, really, your childhood. Maybe not the sport that you've gone into now, but kind of being quite vague about what that sport is. But were you quite a competitive child? Uh, yeah, I would say so. Like I played football, rugby, cricket, basketball. I was always really into sort of all sorts of sports. I played all of them, but never really mastered any of them, um, if that makes sense. Uh, so, yeah, I was, I was pretty competitive. I would say, yeah, I was a pretty competitive person. Yeah. And to give some context for those listening, Shan, did you grow up in the UK? Did you grow up somewhere else? Where did you grow up? So I was born in Jamaica, uh, lived there till I was 11 and then migrated to the UK. And then I've been in the UK ever since. And can I just ask quickly, is that place in Peterborough? Yeah. So... Because I'm not far from you. I'm in Kings Lynn. Okay. There you go. I saw that. I was like, oh, it's from Peterborough. I get ever so excited when someone's from near me, don't I, Lewis? The, the best part about it is you don't even say Peterborough, you say Peterborough. Peterborough. I've never heard anyone call it Peterborough. That's, that word, on the, that's word of the street. That's how we say it, isn't it, Shan? That's how we say yeah. it. Peterborough. Peterborough. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm only, I'm only 80 odd miles away. Blimey. <laughs> so 
very exciting. Very exciting. And are you in Peterborough now? Yeah, yeah, I'm at home in Peterborough uh, with uh, the fiance and the lovely little Maya there. That's all, all her pictures there. For those listening who can't see Shan's screen, he's got wonderful baby pictures surrounding him and medals from his <laughs> sport. Should we reveal, reveal what the sport is, Lewis? Do you think it's time? Yeah, I think it is time. Shan, do you mind telling us, please, what you actually do as an Olympian? Uh, so, yeah, I uh, went to Beijing 2022 as the pilot for the Jamaican bobsleigh team. Bobsleigh. That cool. is unflipping believable. That is the coolest. <laughs> Shan, when Hope told me that you were coming on the podcast, and thank you so much, by the way, for coming on. We really do appreciate it. But when Hope mentioned it to me, it was like, that is the flipping coolest thing ever. It is so, <laughs> so, because, you know, you, you imagine talking to all these different sports people, but actually to get you on is fantastic. So, yeah, thank you so much for joining us today and taking your time up. Yeah, no problem. It was a pleasure to sort of uh, tell a lot of people about the sport. A lot of people don't really know a lot about the sport, Bob. So they, just, they know cool runnings and they know the movie and what they see on the movie. But apart from that, they don't really know how it really works and stuff like that. So it's always nice to, to tell people, tell people about the sport, really. Yeah, and this yeah. is sports for dummies, so we are going to unpick that with some of the most silly and obvious questions. That's kind of my yeah. role here, Shan. Um, but let's chat about first how it came to be that you got into bobsleighing. Because when Lewis introduced you, he mentioned the RAF, and that's a little bit yeah. random. It was a bit like, oh, you do this and and, and that. So tell us how how that came to be. Yeah, so uh, in the RAF, we we have a variety of sports that. Uh, Service personnel can take part in. Uh, I think we have over 45 different sports that personnel can take part in uh, in the Air Force. And uh, ice sports has happened to be one of them. So uh, bobsleigh, skeleton, luge, uh, we all tend to go away together every year. So what happened is I saw a poster on the wall one day that literally said, uh, fancy having a go at bobsleigh and ring this number, rang the number. Um, they were like, yeah, come for these trials. I had to do some sprints and I think some standing long jumps and uh and a little sled push did that they were like sweet you're selected on the team two weeks later i was in france uh and in the bobsleigh for the first time um and i literally that was 2015 and then i've literally been doing it uh ever since 2015 just absolutely loved it kept going back every year and then 2017 so pretty much two years later i had the opportunity to try for the jamaican bobsleigh team in uh, calgary and yeah, I've again been sliding with the Jamaican Bobsleigh team ever since that, and then now I'm a now I'm an Olympian. So it's a bit of a random a random one, but uh, yeah, that's how it, how it all turned out. Got a question about the kind of the training facilities. Is it freezing cold, and is it just ice everywhere? And do you have to wear special shoes? Yes. So we normally so some uh some of the tracks they have what they call like a an indoor ice house so it's like a massive uh refrigerated building basically with a, a push start inside it um so we that's what we normally use to practice the starts because otherwise every time you go on a sled you have to go all the way down the track and there's no sort of way to really practice it so they've built like the push start so it basically goes like down and up a hill the other side and then when it gets to the top it'll roll back on itself to the top so you can practice the starts without having to go down the track every single time and uh our spikes that we wear are very similar to athletic spikes so on, a, on an athletic spike you normally have i'll say six to seven spikes on there on uh bobsleigh spikes it's almost like uh nails but we have over 200 sort of nails on, 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 on the 
bikes as well. Need a great service area to give you the grip. Mikey, receiver a kick to the face, would you? Yeah. No, no, no. I get him in the back all the time when the guy jumps in. Oh, do you? <laughs> yeah. Do you have they like a back pad to protect you? They always seem like, to sp- always seem to miss and, and put their spikes right in your back. You oh. must finish. In a, you must like your back must be like SpongeBob. Like you come out and you've got all these holes in you. Yeah, <laughs> you pretty cheese. much. <laughs> yeah, you get all scratched up and stuff. But then the foreman as well, guys. Uh, their calves tend to get scratched up because oh it's tight when you all kind of jump in. But you have basically two hundred spikes kicking around all, all in the sled as well. So God, that's just one challenge that you've got to face, let alone stay in, yeah. stay stay on track. Um, tell us about how big the bobsleigh is in terms of like how many metres is a bobsleigh? So uh, two man is around 2.8. And then the four man is normally around three metres. Because you do both, don't you? Yeah, so I do both. Shall I had a question because we kind of we kind of jumped over it a little bit. I just wanted to kind of pull back a bit to your childhood and your early career as a as a person in the military and the RAF. Growing yeah. up as a child, did you ever imagine being part of the military or the RAF or going into the armed forces? And actually, from there, did you ever imagine going and becoming a bobslayer? Because those two things don't align in any way. Obviously, they now do, as you've said. But I think for someone listening, I never knew that actually there were so many opportunities you had as someone as part of the military to take these steps to basically go and like live out your dream job effectively. I'm a bobslayer. Yeah. So uh, if you go all the way back to when I was sort of really young uh my mom in jamaica my mom used to work as a police secretary in a police police station so like after school obviously you have to wait for her to finish work so i'd be running around the police station and stuff so everybody always thought i was going to be a police officer when i grew up and then obviously migrated to the uk um and then uh just being in school and stuff i got into like the air cadets so then i was an air cadet for a little while uh so that's like 14 to like 16 in that period there and then finish uh, work and sort of do my own normal nine to five. I just wanted something that was different, something that was challenging, uh, something that you could use to travel. And then I again looked into the Air Force and then, yeah, that was it. I, I joined up and it's probably one of the best decisions I've ever made, if I'm honest. Mad how it's shaped your life. <laughs> yeah. In in ways you wouldn't have even imagined when you joined. Like, no. on earth, did you ever think that you'd be in the Olympics representing Jamaica no. in a bobsleigh? Well, yeah, that's it. I never, even, well, I wouldn't imagine I've even seen a bobsleigh, not to mention being an Olympic bobsleigh athlete. So, yeah, it's definitely opened up with opportunities that you never would have otherwise had normally. So, it's just kind of a testament to to try things and say yes to opportunities because you never know what's going to happen. One hundred percent. That's one of my big, one of my big things in life is is always to try something at least once because you never know if you're going to be good if you don't if you never try it so try it at least once and i guess for those listening to shan to kind of understand as well not only we can cover sports here we might do a bit of military as well what does the role regiment gunner what does that actually mean being a gunner what does that actually entail does it mean you support arsenal (laughs) (laughs) yeah the easiest way to explain it is like we are an infantry unit within the air force so like the army has soldiers and a lot of people just think you just fly planes in the Air Force. But we are we have like an infantry unit within the Air Force, which our job is to protect all the aircraft and stuff when we go away as well. That's effectively what we do. So you stand near the aircraft with a gun if anyone's yeah. trying to come do anything dodgy. Yeah, pretty much. I've been I was on the Queen's Colour Squadron, which is like a ceremonial squadron for the Air Force. So all the parades and stuff you see in London, uh stagging on at the palaces, see the guards outside the palaces, I've had to do all of that sort of stuff as well. So uh, and then we do a thing called uh, continuity drill displays, 
So we do like drill movements uh, over a sequence of like uh, three to four minutes sometimes to music. And then we travel all around the world doing all the displays and stuff like that. So I've been to America, Canada, Switzerland, um, yeah, like doing all the displays all over the world. So it's been it's been uh, an adventurous uh, career, I would, I would say. And you're still so young as well. Oh, I'm 32 in October. Still young. Wow. <laughs> and Sean, how do you balance all of these things? So not only are you kind of flying around the world everywhere and actually doing all this stuff, but you've also got to train for bobsleighing, right? And get fit and physical. So how do you, what does your daily timetable look like? What's a day in the life of Shan? Yeah, so I've been quite fortunate. Uh, so in the military, again, they have a program called the Elite Athlete Program, um, where if you're good enough to, to take part in a certain sport at a high level, they give you time of work to solely compete and train for that particular sport. So uh, I was fortunate to be on the elite athlete program. So for the last sort of four years, I've just solely been training and competing uh, for, for Jamaica. So that's all I've sort of done uh, in terms of uh, work-wise, because it technically was work at the time. Um, before that period, it was hard to balance both. Um, I was sort of doing all my obviously work stuff, all the bobsleigh stuff. A lot of my work stuff is cardio-based. Bobsleigh is not so cardio-based. So it's very hard to sort of balance the two. But when I got my elite athlete and I could focus on just um, training specific to my bobsleigh sport, everything became a little bit easier to sort of manage. Something that wasn't easy was the period of time we all spent in lockdown. I don't want to harp on about COVID because we've, we're all bored of the conversation. But what you done in lockdown was pretty inspirational. Not only did you build your own gym, but you also adapted your fiancé's car. Tell us about this. <laughs> yeah, so uh, as you know, when you, when you push bobsleighs, you've got to uh, run at the start. And they're pretty heavy. Like they're way between like 185 to 225 kilos. So they what? Yeah. So you got to build I up. I did not expect that. I thought they'd be like aerodynamic. No, no, no. They're, they're pretty heavy, heavy bits of equipment. Um, so you <laughs> his face. Sorry. <laughs> no, because that's like, that's bonkers. Because, because Shan, like logic would say, right, that you'd have an, yeah, a bit like you were saying, Hope, you'd think that you'd have an aerodynamic small thing. But actually, I guess, because it is just pure power, because you're not, you know, you're not going for like tricky turns. You're just going pure speed. So actually, it makes sense. But 200 kilos. Oh, my days. Yeah. Can't even leg press that, can you, Lewis? No, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, um, so they're, they're pretty weighty, so you've got to do a lot of like resistance training in our in my training program. And obviously with the gyms closed and everything, so I went out sort of pushing my fiance's mini up and down the street as sort of resistance training. Normally in the gyms, you have prowlers and stuff that you can use to replicate that sort of thing. I didn't have access to any of that, so the next best thing was the car. It rolls, I could push it. Um, so yeah, sort of use that as a as another training tool as well. So um, yeah, we just wanted to be as prepared as we were we could have been to, to qualify for the games. We didn't want any excuses to say, well, we just sat at the house and didn't really do anything that we could have done if we didn't have qualified. So I wanted to leave no sto stones on turn really, and uh, yeah, that's sort of what we sort of came up with to do really. You also weren't alone in that period, were you? Because you had one of your training partners or one of your team members living with you. How was that yeah. in lockdown? And why did that yeah, happen? No, it, was, it was all right. So uh, uh, a guy called Nimroy. Uh, so literally just before we went into lockdown, we had a competition in Austria. We did that competition. He came back to do some training with me for the summer. 
Um, and then we literally, two days later, we went into lockdown. <laughs> Couldn't do anything. So, yeah, so he was here with me as well. But uh, it was good. Uh, usually, because a lot of the team are in Jamaica as well, it was actually quite nice to have a training partner in a way. Um, even though it was quite restricted, it was nice to sort of have something to train with and stuff like that. But yeah, um, he still enjoyed himself. We managed to just, when he was here, until it started to, the lockdown started to ease off a little bit. So we managed to show him around London a little bit as well. Oh, that's so nice. In London, we went out on the Boris bikes, riding around. It was pretty good, actually, because there's nobody about. So you get around that really easily. So it's pretty cool. And I was going to say, that must be easier to start than a bobsled by the sounds. So it's an easier push, yeah. isn't it? So. <laughs> in terms of the the mini situation, I remember seeing pictures of you all in your outfits. Like, that. you're all geared up. You're running down the street in Peterborough. That actually went viral, didn't it? How was that yeah. experience of going viral? Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was insane, actually. Um, we just started getting, like, loads of news agencies just messaging us like tv interviews all that sort of stuff and then mini uk saw it and then they um they sort of uh donated for six months uh a brand new convertible uh mini all signposted with jamaica bobsleigh all over it and stuff wow. like that. That is so, yeah they upgraded our training tool because obviously we were pushing minis around so they love the story as well no it's pretty cool we managed to meet alison hammond as well um, we were pushing her in the car and stuff when the whole thing came out. So yeah, it was pretty awesome. But again, it was it's a lot of publicity for us, uh, and it was good publicity because a lot of our funding come from sponsorship and, and personal donations. So that massively sort of helped us out uh, in our way to, to to qualify for the games as well. So sort of came at a, a really uh, came at a good time. Wow. And coming off the back of that kind of, you know, easing out of lockdown, Shan, you, of course, did qualify for Beijing, which we can talk about very, very soon. But from what I read, actually, in September 2021, sounded like quite a tight turnaround for you guys getting ready for the game. Sounded like it was as if it was it was a bit it was a bit of a close call, really, to, to getting over the line, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, it was. Uh, it just always seems to be us. I don't really know why. Like, so they sent out our accreditations um, and then they got somewhere disappeared in a post. Um, so we had to sort of get hold of uh, FedEx and they had to try and find them in a the depot somewhere. And because we literally two days, it's like two days before we was due to fly out to Beijing, we still had no accreditation, but we couldn't have gotten a plane without the accreditations and stuff like that. And yeah, it was just, just crazy. That is so <laughs> stressful. Wow. Yeah. Don't need that stress when you're already like putting loads of pressure yeah, on yourself. I know. <sighs> wow. That's intense. And were your family able to come and support you when you were at the Olympics? Because obviously it was still a bit, I'm going again, aren't I? With the old COVID stuff, I can't get enough. Because <laughs> it was still a bit yeah. of a COVID situation. Yeah, yeah. Again, COVID situation, the whole game was literally locked down. It was like a, a closed sort of network. So um, only people who were competing in the games and volunteers were allowed in, in, in the arena. Um, we had, again, no spectators. Only people that were in the games were allowed to, to come to the games, but they did have a sort of like a, a family screen at the bottom. So you could do like massive Zoom calls with your family. So when you got out the sled at the bottom of the track, they were there on a big screen and you could wave at them and talk to them and stuff like that. So that was pretty good. So they weren't actually allowed to be there, but they sort of were over the screen. Do you think in some ways it made it surprisingly easier not having that support there because less pressure or would you rather everyone have been there cheering you on? 
no, I wouldn't say it would have been, uh, it was less pressure. I think you're in Olympic Games, you want to do as, as well as you can. So I don't think, no matter what the situation is, I think you're just going to, I think your stress levels will be the same, <laughs> no matter what. Um, you, you still had all the TV cameras there, you still had everything there, you still had uh, all the competitors and, and the volunteers still cheering for you. So the atmosphere was still the same, I would say. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't say you've made any difference, but it still would have been nice. Obviously, I'd be family there celebrating your achievement with you as well. But yeah, I mean, it was the first time in 24 years, wasn't it, that you're that the four-man bobsleigh participated. So I guess the, the question both Hope and I will be asking now is actually how did it feel stepping out onto the onto the what would you call it, the track? Yeah, the ice. onto the track. Yeah. Onto, how did it feel stepping out and like knowing that you're representing your country and everyone back home and all over the world is watching you? Yeah, no, that was a, a, a pretty surreal moment. I think there was, there was two sort of surreal moments for us at the Games. The first one was uh, open ceremony when you walked out into the arena for the first time. That was a pretty, I think that, that first moment is when you really go, you know, these four years of hard work they sort of really paid off, like, this is it, we're sort of here. And then again, like you're saying, when we, the first time we stepped out onto the, the to the ice and stepped onto the block, ready to go off, all dressed up in your lycra and your Jamaica colours and helmet And your spikes. And, and your spikes. spikes, everybody's got their game faces. Um, I think that's when you go, yeah, come on, we, we, this is a massive, massive achievement. And I think a lot of people don't realise that, uh, again, COVID, I know we'll keep going on COVID, but because of COVID, a lot of the team couldn't get together to train to do any sort of training. So the first time the actual crew that that race at the games came together was four weeks before the qualifying races. Four weeks before the qualifying races. That's all, Yeah. So that just shows like that the the achievement that we actually did to even qualify for the games. Like some of the teams that qualify for the games, they've been their crew's been together for 10, 15 years. We came together four weeks before. In some ways, that may actually have its perks rather than being with a team for 15 years because with that kind of bond that they would have built, it probably feels second nature so they feel like they haven't got added pressure. Do you know what I mean? If you're shoved into that situation, like through a high-pressure situation, you're probably yeah. going to act better. I don't know. I'm just rambling now, maybe. <laughs> no, but in Bob's Lane, everything has to do with chemistry. Yeah. And the chemistry, like I'd imagine you've seen a four man being loaded, like four guys trying to jump in a sled. It it can go absolutely carnage if you don't get it right. Like you can leave bodies at the top of the track quite easily. <laughs> what's the worst incident you can tell us about that? Like, is it, have, they, have you ever had that before in training where literally people have got injured, or what's the worst injury you've suffered personally? Uh, so I've I've had guys obviously fall off the sled and not get in it. In, in have training. they like have they flew the whole way down the track? Yeah, they. Well, <laughs> You don't, they don't slide all the way down. They eventually slow down and then be able to... to They're not going at that thing you mentioned earlier. But... <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. They don't just keep going seesawing. That happens when you crash, though. Does it? Yeah, you go sort of like backwards and forwards until you sort of settle at the bottom of the track. Oh, wow. God. It is horrible. <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah, you don't really tend to get... Even when you crash in a bobsleigh, you don't really tend to get many injuries because there's no sort of blunt force impact when you stop and hit something. That's what causes a lot of injury. You sort of, you crash and then you carry on going down the track and then it comes back on itself and it keeps rolling. So um, you don't really tend to get a lot of 
like I said, really bad injuries. You tend to injure yourself more from training, uh, like hamstring tears, sort of lifting the weight and pulling you back or something like that. Or when you're moving a sled, dropping a sled on your foot, seeing that happen and smashing your toe, that sort of stuff. You tend to get more injuries, not sliding than you be sliding. You're what's called, am I right, the pilot. You're the driver. Yeah. It's quite cool that it's the pilot and you're in the RAF, isn't it? you have to be quite bossy and because i was watching some interviews of your other guys in the team and they were saying we have to listen to what he's saying he he's in charge is that the case and how do you kind of build those skills to be able to manage that well uh again i think a lot of it's come from uh my military training um leadership uh knowing how to work as a team all that sort of stuff sort of uh, transfers across uh, quite well. Um, I I wouldn't say I'm bossy, uh, but you got to be quite direct in telling people exactly what you want. And then once they understand how uh, I operate as a pilot, then then I can leave them to it. Uh, like my guys now, I can literally just say to them, get the sled ready because they know exactly how I want things laid out. Um, which is quite good. I'd, it means I don't have to then micromanage because some people hate. I hate micromanage. I like to tell people what I want and then let them get on with it. And then if they have an issue, they come and say, look, I'm struggling here. Help me out sort of thing. So, um, But it's just my leadership style. Like I like to let people get on and then when they're done, they say, sweet, it's done. I just sort of oversee. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think, uh, yeah, it's sort of, it, yeah, there's a lot of transfers military skills in, into sport in life. Um, and I, I try to sort of to co- incorporate the two a lot as m- much as I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously there's like in the four-man one, Yeah. there's the pilot. What are the other roles called and how do they so kind of all, play? Yeah, so they're all called brakemen, uh, but only the guy at the back pulls the brake. So a brakeman effectively, effectively is a, a a pusher they they're the engine of the sled so they push the sleds as fast as you, you can go and then they jump in once they jump in they effectively wait <laughs> um yeah they effectively make up the weight for the sled so you can go as fast as possible and then the guy right at the back which is in the foreman is the number four he'll then pull the brakes when i shout break at the end um but going back to the the weight thing so there's a maximum racing weight uh, for two men and four men. So for the two men, it's 390 kilos. And for the four men, it's 630 kilos. So there's a maximum weight you can be, but you can race under that, but you can't race over that weight. So you basically, you've got to be quarter of the weight that you are for a two man. No? Yeah? Uh, not no, necessarily. If there's two, if there's two uh, of you. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I get what you're saying, but not necessarily because whatever weight you're deficient, you're allowed to add weight to the sled. So you can add weight in there to make up your weight to... Right, so you don't have to stop your burgers and then start your burgers. Well, I was, exactly. was going to say, but being obviously being a, a military man, Shan, you're, you're obviously going to be quite... I'm sure you're quite like strict on diet and stuff, but is that actually... It's a bit like F1 drivers because, you know, if they go up or down in weight class, that massively affects the car. So I, I assume that you guys have a very similar um, following in terms of food and dieting because actually yeah. that will affect you sledding. Yeah, so a lot of the guys try to be around 100 kilos and up uh, if they can. Uh, I really struggle to get to 100 kilos because I'm only five foot six. Um, 
So for me to get to 100 kilos, I'd, I'd be like waddling down the street. <laughs> <laughs> um, You'd be heavier than the bobsleigh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I've been close. I think I got to like 92 kilos, which is probably the heaviest I've ever been. Um, but for me, I'd, I tend, I, I eat clean, but I eat sort of whatever I want, if that makes sense. So I don't really have a strict diet because for me, it was always to try and get to as heavy as I can. So I actually had it really easy. Uh, I know some of the guys, um, so I think one of my guys, he was like 115 kilos. Wow. Still uh, running, I think he was still running 30 meters in like three points <laughs> seconds. So yeah, he was still moving pretty quick. That, that just doesn't, it just defies, that just defies logic. That's actually ridiculous. Yeah. A lot of our training is all explosive. It's, I mean, it's all Olympic lifts. So he cleans, he snatches, he squats, and then we do a lot of um, sprint work as well. So, wow. Does that add yeah. kind, of, kind of like conditioning as well? Yeah, basically. So a lot of my summer training is literally, all I do is lift, sprint, and stretch. That is <laughs> and if you weren't a pilot, is there another position that you'd want to be? And have you tried any of the others out? Yeah, so I actually started off as a brakeman. I was actually a pusher before I even got into the front seat. Um, I pushed for, I'd say, just a year and a half, I would say. And then I transitioned into piloting. Um, yeah, piloting is way better. And there was a reason. Is that why you did that? Uh, what, because it was better? Yeah, just because you enjoyed it more, yeah, because it was a more like, I don't know. Uh, no, I just always thought I'd, I want to have a go again, trying everything. So I tried the back. I thought I'll have a go in the front. And then, yeah. And you really, haven't moved since. And <laughs> I really enjoyed the front and I haven't come out of it. <laughs> Well, the, all the mates are going, well, I want to give it a go. And you're like, no, <laughs> it's my <laughs> turn. I like it. <laughs> so what is next for you and the team moving forward? Yeah, so moving forward for us now, we're going to try and go all the way to Milano Cortina. So 2026, we're going to try and make the next games. But there's that's a, a four-year sort of plan there. Um, next year, next February is the World Championships in uh, St. Moritz. So we're hoping to do that as well and then moving forward we're also trying to build a youth program as well uh currently i'm the only pilot uh for the team so when i retire um i think they're gonna struggle uh getting some people in so we're trying to build that program in now over the next four years so if i do retire after milano then we've got somebody else obviously to carry on the, the the legacy as well and we're also trying to get a lot more girls into the sport as well i think it's important to to, to spread the love across uh, all genders um, in, in sport as well. So we're trying to sort of build, build on all of that sort of stuff as well. And Shan, what's the average career length of, of a, a bobslayer? Because that's something I'm sure lots of people listening won't necessarily yeah. know. So uh, one of the guys of the game, so uh, Edson uh, Bindalati for Brazil, he was 43. Wow. And he's still bobslaying. So. And is that obviously, I, I pulled a face there, like shocked. Is that actually quite old? Uh, for a bobsled athlete, uh, I'd probably say yeah. Yeah. Because of the yeah, not as a person, you've still got plenty of years. No, 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 as a bobsled <laughs> athlete, yeah, I would say it's like the strains you have to put your bodies through, the training that you do. Um, even me now at 30, 31 going thirty two, I wake up in the mornings now and my, I have to like click myself straight and, and real achy and stuff because it is hard on your body. We do lift a lot of weights. I think just before the games, I was, I was deadlifting like two hundred fifty kilos. I was squatting 210. Like, it's a lot of weight. 
and I'm only five foot six, so. You are quite <laughs> hench. I have met Shan in person, and he is quite hench. Dude's <laughs> lifting 250 kilos. He's got to be pretty big to be lifting 250 kilos. That's a He's not got spaghetti arms when he walks yeah. in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> been at, that's but obviously, way. we can't ignore the fact that traveling makes you tired as well. That takes it out of you. And you've yeah. recently been to the Caribbean. You got called over, didn't you? Because the Royals were there. And you yeah. met a very special footballer. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we got called out uh, to... Uh, Jamaica for the Duke and Duchess visit of the Caribbean. They wanted to meet the Jamaica bobsleigh team. Uh, so I got flown out for that. And then we all met up uh, to get police escorted to, uh, I think it was Trenchtown where the event was happening. And then out the car popped uh, Raheem Sterling as well. So I had a cheeky uh, picture with him as well. And there was also- Could not, could you really? Oh, that was yeah. there. The 100 the meter sprinter, Shelly Ann Fraser was there as well. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. And that's a good question then. So in terms of like from people from Jamaica, is bobsleighing a popular sport? What do most people in Jamaica play for those that are listening that may not necessarily know? Like is, is bobsleighing seen as a popular sport? Uh, no, not really. Um, a lot of people really just know the, they know the film Cool Runnings. I think it's become a lot more popular uh, this year because it actually got broadcasted in Jamaica this year. I think when they had PM Chang Olympics, Four years ago, it wasn't even broadcasted in Jamaica, so a lot of people didn't even see it. Um, this year it was broadcasted, so it was a lot more popular and a lot more people knew about the sport. So it's it's be- becoming a little bit more uh, popular. I think the last time I was there, obviously, we had a sled out and we did a presentation. But even walking down the street, some people saw you and just, ah, oh, it's the Jamaican bobsay guys and stuff like that. So, no, nah, it's pretty cool. But, no, I think it's, it, it's good that it's becoming a lot more popular and a lot more people want to get involved in the sport and a lot of people are asking how they can get involved in the sport. And it's what we want. We want we want the legacy to carry on going. We, we want more people to, to do the sport. It's a fantastic sport. It's a really enjoyable sport. And um, I think a lot of people still don't really understand how the sport really works. And it's a shame, really, because um, it doesn't really get broadcasted enough. Um, and it's a shame. We're, we're working on it. We're working to get it more on TV so people can see it. And we're working on, on ways that we can get it out there to a lot more people. But uh, I think you're obviously going to take time. It's not a, an overnight process, but we're working on it. And Shan, I have another question, actually, because I went to Jamaica back in January. So I visited oh, Jamaica. Yeah, Ab- did, yeah absolutely loved it. And I went to Mystic Mountain. Now, yeah, I went, yeah. I went there too. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, there you go. So for those listening, Mystic Mountain is a bobs. It basically, it's like a bobsleighing uh, museum. And then you get to go on like an interactive ride. You basically get to go on a bobsled, don't you, Shan? Yeah. Question is for you, because you guys are Olympians, do you get free passes? <laughs> Yeah, we actually did. <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole team uh, went there when we were in Jamaica. Um, and then, yeah, they all let us in and we went all on the bobsleighs and stuff. And, yeah, it's pretty cool. Excellent. And we are running a little bit short on time now and I want to kind of leave it on a, a positive, inspirational note because you are quite an interesting person, Shan. If someone's listening, they're thinking, oh, I'd, love to, I'd like to try something new, but I don't think I'd be any good at it or they're self-doubting themselves. What advice would you give them? I'll say absolutely just go for it. You've got, you've got nothing to lose. Like if you give it a go and you're not good at it, uh, it's, a life le- it's a life lesson. You've learned something. You said, actually, I wasn't very good at that. You know, just stay away from it in the future. You try something, you're pretty good at it. Who knows how far it can go? Like, like look at me. I never knew I was good at bobsleigh. Saw posts on the wall. Thought, yeah, I'll give that a go. And now I'm an Olympian. So 
all I'll say, just give it a go. Don't be afraid. And uh, yeah. <laughs> we love it well Shan thank you so much for your time today and for those of you listening check out the bio we're going to include Shan's details there so you can follow him on the socials and check out all things bobsleigh-esque if you like uh, Lewis anything else to say today no just Shan thank you so much for coming on really really appreciate it and we wish you all the best for the future and hopefully we'll be seeing you and the gang in 2026 hopefully thank you very much whoop, whoop. and thank you everyone for listening to this series of Sports to Dummies podcast we'll be back in a few weeks Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.